episode 42. Welcome to the Unboxable podcast. I am Elena Turley, your host and founder of the Soul Mama Academy, which is a membership for women who are maybe a little overextended and ready to stop rushing around, join together and find the courage to power up and enjoy their life every day as they step closer to their greater purpose. Lael Stone is genuinely one of the women doing the most incredible work in the world at the moment with parents and children. I absolutely adore her. She is an educator, TEDx speaker, author, mother and parenting counsellor. She's been working with families for over 17 years. She's also currently founding a primary school, which we talk a little bit about. But you can also find her on Facebook, Instagram under Lael Stone, L-A-E-L-S-T-O-N-E and doing her own incredible podcast, the Aware Parenting Podcast, with almost half a million downloads. She must be doing something right. Here is my lovely friend, Lael Stone. Hello, Lael. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, so <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah, me too. I was just saying offline that um, I have a little bit of a professional lady crush on Lael, and I've been getting to know her stuff through podcasting and through various things. Lael, tell me a little bit about your background. That's a good question, isn't it? And you kind of go, how far back yeah. do we go? How far back you like? uh, look, really, I guess with the work I do now, um, it's probably been the last 20 years of my work. Um, so I started, I guess, working with families in birth nearly, nearly 20 years ago. So I worked as a childbirth educator. I was teaching calm birth. I was a doula. And then I started working in postnatal kind of trauma care with women that had traumatic birth experiences or families really and babies. Um, I discovered aware parenting probably about 14 years ago, thanks to the birth of my third baby. And that opened up a whole other world for me around working with families who have had trauma, helping um, families stay connected through working through feelings and emotions. And, and then that really led me on to um, understanding what I call our own imprints and the stories we carry from our own childhood and how that turns up in parenting and how we often need to work with that to help shift even our children's behaviour, but how we're responding. Um, I also spent about five years teaching pleasure-based sex education to teenagers in secondary schools, which was amazing fun. I think for some people that sounds like their idea of hell, but it was just one of the best jobs ever, working with teens for a long time. Uh, and about four years ago now, I actually started building my own primary school. So we opened our school about a year and a bit ago. Uh, it's a primary school that is down here in Victoria, in just out of Geelong in a place called Ceres. It's on a farm. Um, we have lots of beautiful animals. It's, we use a lot of nature and play-based learning. But the essence of the school is all around emotional awareness. So our whole lens that we look through with everything is how do we help children feel emotionally safe with the understanding that when kids feel safe, then they're open to learning. Uh, we welcome all feelings and expressions at our school. We're so much about choice and autonomy. It really is the primary school that I wished I had have gone to. It's the school I wish I could have sent my children to. Uh, it's the school that I see so many parents want because, you know, they're looking for a change in education. 
Um, so there's kind of the things I've done, but more than more than that, oh, I think the thing that overrides all of that is that I'm a mama to three beautiful big children. My son is almost 22. And then I have a nearly 19-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old daughter. And no matter what training or workshops or books or courses I've done, nothing compares to trying to raise your kids with awareness and consciousness. And they have been my biggest, most beautiful teachers. Um, so that's, really that's kind of, yeah, where I am today. Amazing. Amazing. Well, so first of all, I'm just actually, as you're speaking, getting chills and thinking, how can I move closer to your school? Because that sounds <laughs> yes. unbelievable. Yes, um, yes. I too am trained as an educator and I too teach teens. Mm. So it's very interesting coming into that with an emotional awareness and I actually do the best I can to bring that to my job and it is an amazing thing what mm. happens when you bring that into a classroom. I can mm. only do it in my classes you know yes. uh, not as a school-wide thing so I yes. absolutely applaud you for doing that it's so needed it's look it's huge building um, our school's called Woodline Primary and building Woodline was it's one of the most challenging and extraordinary things I've ever done in my life and I knew nothing about building school like I'm not a formal teacher yeah. um, I and, and it came about really because one of my clients who I'd been working with for a few years she had six children and one of her children was studying um, prep and she was like I just hate the punitive aspects I hate that they put his name on the board for moving or talking too much and and god I wish there was a school that could be held with all the things that you've taught me and and you know she came back to me one day and said what if we built a school and I was like I've got no idea how to build a school but you know she um she had the financial means to back it and support it and she said why don't we just build the school that we know could exist and and so, you know, it was. It took us nearly three years. You know, I spent hours sitting on my couch writing policies, like having to learn from people who'd done it before. It's not an easy thing to do. It's very, very hard. There's a reason why not many people open schools and it's because it's super challenging. Um, but I think it just was meant to be. It kind of came through us and... Um, you know, the first day that we opened the school, I think, was one of the proudest days of my life. I just cried the whole day. <laughs> and um, and we're still learning. Like, we've been open for a year and a bit now and it's just it's doubled in size and it's growing. And it won't ever be huge because we really have small class sizes. And and I think, like, just relating to what you're saying there, sometimes I, I really see that teachers can only do so much in a system that's yes. that's very punitive and that really isn't about choice and autonomy. So we were like, well, what if we flip it and actually change from the ground up so that we don't do punishments and rewards and we're always looking behind the behavior and we we focus mainly on connection you know because connection helps to create cooperation and all our team do a lot of their own self-processing work so that they can turn up and be the calm adults that we you know we need to be for children and and we've just taken a whole different approach. You know, we, it's still about educating our kids and helping them be, um, you know, numerate and literate and all that kind of stuff. But really we start with the emotional and the connection and the relationship first and then the rest comes. Oh, look, that's just what you just said applies to more than just schooling. I mean, it's kind of the foundation of a lot of the work I've done too. I've mm -hmm. built communities of mothers in Bath mm -hmm. and where I live now locally as well in the thousands. And the mm. main reason I do that is because to me, connection is just the fabric of our existence and it is so often overlooked in our culture. Mm. And so to hear that that's your driving force, that that is 
the starting point, you know, mm. is just so heartening. I mm. really am so happy for you guys and for mm. the people that you are bringing into that reality with you, you know. Mm, thank you. Uh, you know, I, like there were many times in the building of it that I was just like, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing here and this feels really hard. And yet I just thought, well, who am I not to do it? Who, who are, you know, my partner Mel and I not to create something and see what happens? And, um, and I could see the amount of interest we've had from the public. I get emails every week from people all overseas going, can you bring, you know, can you bring a wood line here or how do we build a school? Like it just has reached so many people because I think they're going, we want it to look different. We want it to be different for our children. And, um, and I just see that it's time, it's time to change, you know, the way things have been done for a really long time. And, And as I'm sure you knowing your work it's it's time the way we look after mums and families it's time that we change you know our community and our support networks it's it's time for that big fundamental systemic change to support families 100 percent. and i feel like that big hole that you when i heard you say that you worked with women who and families who felt trauma following birth particularly that's something that i feel is so under recognized mm-hmm. it's such a key area yes of how the next generation comes into the world and experiences mm-hmm. their first few years or maybe even their first 20 years yep and it's not something that i feel i hear a lot about in mainstream conversations mm-hmm. which surprises me because statistically mm-hmm. we have you know the mental health statistics around postnatal health and they're glaringly you know and I did consider going into that actually funnily enough as a way into the work that I do um and I think I probably will likely get some trauma training at some point Mm. I've had an experience of trauma in my life that informs me but Mm. it's just a really it's an area that I feel so many women are affected by but Mm. there seems to be a lot of shame and guilt around it and I just am so like but hang on a minute Mm. you need unconditional love and ongoing support and yet you're receiving judgment. And I don't blame the mainstream yeah. professionals. I'm not, there's no blame yeah. here. There's yeah. a lack of resources for those people as well. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. yeah. And understanding. Understand. And understanding yes. about what trauma is. And and here's the thing that I guess I I have found in all my years of working with families and trauma is it's often not just that event that the trauma is from. There is a, it's a cumulative effect of many traumas that have happened throughout our lives which haven't been processed, that get stored in the body. And then we have this big experience, which is a physical experience. A lot of that trauma can be unlocked within that. And then we come out the other side feeling completely broken or or not being able to cope. And then, you know, our symptoms become even louder and more heightened and, and you can't band-aid it. You can't just put something on it and then make it go away. You have to journey through it. Yet we need the support and the understanding and the information to be able to journey through it so you can come out the other side and thrive, not just just survive, but actually thrive. Absolutely. And if, so say someone's listening to this right now, Lael, mm. that would be their starting point. If they're feeling this is, you know, light, light bulbs lighting up in them mm. and they're feeling a resonance with what you're saying, mm. where do they begin, do you think? Well, look, I think with any trauma, but if we, we're talking more about birth for the moment, are you or...? or anything yeah yeah look I I think the first thing that I I'm such a fan of is support we all need listening and the way that I look at trauma is is on a few levels one 
the brain firstly has to understand the story, has to understand why they're feeling what happened or where are they at. So, you know, if you have a traumatic birth experience where, you know, you might have planned a beautiful natural birth and it ends up in a cesarean and, you know, you felt powerless, all those kind of things, you know, we have to often unpack the story as to how we got to where we are. And when we, the brain can begin to understand, oh, yeah, that happened and then that happened and then, you know, these kind of things, we begin to start letting the body know, okay, that's the story that actually happened. But I think one of the big issues in our culture is that um, when trauma happens, we don't know how to navigate it in the moment. So for if we're talking about birth or we're talking even early parenting, you know, just having a little person that you're meant to be responsible for, we had, there is so much feelings of powerlessness when you become a parent. So you're feeling very out of control that can activate traumas from when you were younger or feeling out of control or feeling powerless. There's so many things that often get activated within us because it all sits in our bodies if we don't move it. So I think the first piece is we firstly just have to understand the story. And sometimes understanding the story is by unpacking it with someone who understands trauma. So in the sense of birth, it could be doing a proper full birth debrief with someone who knows a postnatal counsellor who understands the system and can understand birth. Perhaps it's if it is just about early parenting, it's talking to someone who has real experience with you know feelings and trauma and just that transition into parenthood and all the elements that go with that so I think the first thing we do is we understand it the second thing is we have to allow the feelings that are there to be felt and to be moved and so this can sometimes be done with body work but it it is also you know and probably the main core work I do is about not turning away from the anxiety or not turning away from the panic but actually turning towards it feeling supported and safe enough and then feeling the feelings that we couldn't afford to feel at the time so we're very clever as humans is that when something happens to us we we either fight we we run away we freeze we we try and you know make it all okay and we don't often complete the natural trauma process that our body's designed to do, which can look like shaking, it can look like laughing, it can look like crying, it can look like yelling. It, it's all about the the elements where our body is trying to reset itself from the shock, the adrenaline, all the things that happen. And so often we don't allow it to complete. So we kind of stop it in its tracks and then it gets stored in the body. Sometimes it's not safe to feel it in the moment when something happens to us. Sometimes it's only after when we go, okay, there's enough safety now now I can actually feel what I need to feel but I think for me the number one thing when it comes to helping to process any of our traumas or feelings is we need safety first and what that safety is is a safe person where we feel like we're not going to be judged who can listen to us who brings a sense of comfort and warmth so that our nervous system can actually go okay it's okay for me to feel what I need to feel here and, and I think it's really important to remember that as a culture and a society, we do not do well with feelings at all. The message that most of us received when we were little is to suck it up, is to not feel that way, is to distract yourself, is to band-aid it with something. Um, we're often not modelled healthy ways to feel our feelings. So it's no wonder that when we have big life events like becoming a parent or or something big happening to us that all the all the feelings that was being stored in our bodies that haven't actually been able to be felt start to bubble up and over the top and that's where we see a lot of anxiety and depression or rage or mother rage or aggression or all these feelings that we can no longer contain anymore because it's reached a tipping point 
Yes. And I think that's amazing that our body does tell us mm. when we're at that point. Yeah. And it uh, moves us to address it. Mm. And yep. I'm curious, that was an amazing answer, by the way. Thank mm. you for that. It's beautifully said. And I'm very curious how it is that you came to be interested in working in the area of trauma and parent support, if that's not too personal yeah. question. No, not at all. Well, it's because of my own trauma, which right. is, I think, what we all say. Yes, yes. Well, look, you know, I think um, on some level, I look back to the birth of my son 22 years ago. I was a young mum, no idea, had no education, just thought I'd wing it, see how we go. Yeah. Um, like a lot of first-time mothers who didn't weren't informed, didn't have the right support, I ended up with a, a huge cascade of interventions in my birth. You know, I planned to have a natural water birth and ended up with, you know, induction and gas, pethidine, epidural, episiotomy, vacuum extraction, the full, I had the full smorgasbord. Yeah. And I came out the other side of my son's birth just like, what the hell just happened to me? And I probably spent the first year of his life in shock. Like I just could not make sense. And and I, I didn't really have any friends that had kids and nobody around me to be able to go, hey, you're actually okay. I wasn't okay, but I was functioning. Yes. But, you know, it was still, it was not, I was not very, very present with what was happening. I was kind of hiding from it. Sure. And so then, sure. yeah, yeah, which is what we do because you survive, you become a parent and you're like, oh, my God, I've got to look after this little person. And then really second, I got pregnant for the second time and just thought I've got to do it differently. And that's actually what got me into working birth. I met a beautiful midwife and a home birth doctor and chose to have my second baby at home. I had a beautiful water birth and that moment kind of changed my life because I I remember holding my daughter in my arms going, oh my God, this is what you're meant to feel like. That sense of elation and pride and I just couldn't believe the the power and the strength that I felt. And that's what just fueled this deep desire to want to work in birth and support other women to know that. But I probably still hadn't unpacked my son's birth, but, um, you know, just kind of carry on. Mm -hmm. And then I actually started working in birth and became a childbirth educator and doula and went to lots and lots and lots of births. And so then I got pregnant for my with my third, planned to have another beautiful water birth at home. My daughter had a completely different idea. <laughs> she, um, we discovered in early labour that she was breech and so we went off to hospital and then we discovered she was a footling breech, which was not ideal. Uh, but I, I worked really hard to try and see if I could birth her vaginally and um, after trying every single trick in the book that I knew, I just presumed she wanted to be born by cesarean because there was no way she was coming out. And so we went to have a cesarean, but I had a really bad reaction to the spinal and therefore she had a bad reaction and, and she was being resuscitated for about 10 minutes and, you know, they didn't expect her to live and, you know, she was in an induced coma for the first four days of her life and it was kind of one of those worst case scenarios so far from the idea of what I thought I'd be having this beautiful water birth at home. Uh, but I was guided to be in the right place, which was, you know, I had a wonderful midwife and she knew early on, we need to go to hospital and get support That's just good. in case. And, you know, we, we did everything we needed to. And it really, I think she, it was right just at the end, whether I'd had enough, she'd had enough, who knows. Yeah. Anyway, she she came through the experience, uh, much to everybody's surprise. The doctors were like, I've actually never seen a baby recover this way. But it it really taught me a lot about trust and surrender. You know, I remember you know, the first day after she'd be born, I went and saw her and, and I, I remember just holding her hand and saying to her, I trust you to do whatever you need to do. If you need to go, then go. Of course, I want you to stay, but I trust your journey. Like That's you do what you great. need to. Yeah, I feel like I had no other choice. It was like one of those 
moments where you think you know surrender but surrender is really getting down on your knees and saying I let go of all that is meant to be here so it was one of the most defining incredible moments of my life where it really taught me about deep trust and letting go anyway she came through the experience I came through the experience when we finally got home you know I knew enough about birth and trauma to know that we'd probably had a lot and that we were going to have to work through it and that's where um, I discovered the work of Dr Alita Salter and Aware Parenting which was really about helping not only my baby release the stress and trauma from her birth experience but also helping me and so um, once I read Alita's books and and it made so much sense to me Mm. I would spend You know, every day I would find a time once I'd met my baby's needs, I'd fed her or, you know, she had a clean nappy and I would take her into my bedroom and I'd hold her in my arms and I would look her in the eye and I'd say to her, if there's anything you want to tell me, then I'm listening. And she almost every time would just start crying and she would cry and I'd just hold her in my arms and sometimes I would cry Mm -hmm. and sometimes it would go for 10 minutes, sometimes it would go for half an hour. And then at the end, always when she'd finished crying, she would just look deeply into my eyes or she would smile or she'd go into this deep, peaceful sleep. And it was like I began to see the trauma melting away. It was like she was telling me, and this happened and then that happened and this happened. And and so she started doing that. And then I started doing that with my adult support. I would talk about the story and I'd cry about certain bits and and slowly I began to see both of us started to heal. And what was amazing is my my beautiful cousin's an osteopath and she works with babies all the time from a cranial osteopathy perspective. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And so she was treating Tali and, you know, when we first started doing this, really listening to her feelings, I'd take her for a session and my my cousin would be like, what are you doing? Her whole nervous system's changed. Her whole cells feel like they're integrated. And she was like, oh, my God, keep going. So she she kept feeding back to me what she was feeling. And it just, it it absolutely blew me away because I just thought, wow, the shift and changing I was seeing, which I was doing because of the trauma, but also it then made me look at my two older kids and thought, oh my goodness, I think I've shut you down most of your lives. I think I've just tried to keep you happy all the time and not listen to your feelings. And, And so it was through the discovery of that work and doing this incredible healing with my daughter and then with myself it really gave me a whole other understanding about trauma. So through that journey, I, you know, then had PTSD, which kind of popped up when the time is right, which it would, of course, when you go through a life or death experience. And, um, and so then that really taught me the skills of what it was like to be on the other side of feeling that panic, Mm -hmm. that worry, that anxiety, that wanting it to stop, you know, being pushed to the edge where you're like, I just don't want to feel this anymore. But Mm -hmm. I began to learn that the only way um, to heal this is to move through it. And so that's when I just started feeling and really getting the support I needed and, and you know, came out the other side just looking back going my daughter's birth was the biggest gift I have ever been given. Yeah. I would not change one single part of her story. Yeah. It, it's taken me to the work that I do now. It's created this deeper level of intimacy and connection with all three of my children by yeah. helping me meet them in their feelings uh, it shaped everything. So I feel like it was just the greatest gift I'd ever been given. My trauma was the thing that actually helped me be who I need to be. It gave me such a, de- a deeper sense of the truth of who I am. And um, and I, I will forever be grateful for it. That's fascinating. I talked about this very recently. Same thing because 
it's a hard thing to explain. That's something that on the outset and on the appearance and on the face of it looks like such a tragic, adverse, difficult experience. However, if something like that forges you into a kind of a new understanding and a new, I guess it kind of cracks you open, you know. And I think it takes a lot of courage to allow that to happen. Huge. And in yeah. the moment, you probably are not necessarily choosing courage. It's not like that. I don't think it's a conscious. I've had mm-hmm. PTSD as well. And, and I think it's a hard thing to explain because it's an experience. It's an experiential thing. There's mm. kind of not really words for it. No. And it doesn't make sense logically. No, it doesn't. And it's, it's for a while there, I kept trying to do each a new modality to fix what I was feeling. Like I'd try this thing and then I'd try that thing and then I'd be like, why am I not fixed? Like, why do I still have these feelings? And, and it's not linear. Like you have to just roll with it. It takes time. And, and I think in the end, I just, whenever something would pop up, I'd just, instead of turning away from it and trying to distract myself out of it, I'd just lean in and go, okay, this part's here today. So let's, let's feel this part. You know, I remember so clearly one time I had this image or something when it really dawned on me that when my baby opened her eyes for the first time, I was not the person she saw, right? It was a nurse, right? And I didn't get to hold her for the first time. And all those first things that we know are so important about bonding and all those waves of feeling come up. And then I just had to cry about it and I had to feel it and I had to just let it move through me and then it would, it would ease. And, and so it was about leaning in and feeling and, you know, one of the, the greatest things I had was my beautiful listening partner, which was a dear friend of mine. And in the beginning, when I realized I really had to work through this trauma, I said, is it okay if I just ring you and just say, I need to talk about this bit and I just need to talk about it for 10 minutes and cry. And she'd go, yep. And she, and I would say to her, I just don't want to explain anything else. I just, I need to talk about this bit. And she'd go, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, so many times something would come up and I'd just call her and I'd go, can you listen to me talk about this again? (laughs) She'd be like, yes. And, and I would do the same for her. You know, she had a, a son with a disability and she had lots of similar feelings. And so we became that for each other. You know, I, I feel like a listening partner is just one of the greatest gifts we can have in mothering because stuff comes up and we need to talk about it and we need to be heard with it and we need to allow ourselves to feel it so that once we do, we then have more capacity to listen to our own children or be empathetic to where they're at. So that was one of the greatest things I did was just send her a message and go, can I talk for five minutes? And she'd go, yep. And she'd pick up the phone and I'd be like, oh, this part's here again. And I'd just cry and she'd go, I know it's so hard and you're doing a good job and keep going and I'd feel it. And then that was it, you know, and, and eventually over time and through talking and feeling and crying and lots of other beautiful things, it moved to a completely different place. Yeah, that's a remarkable story. And I heard this beautiful story during COVID where Simon Sinek, the leadership mm-hmm. empathy guy, mm-hmm. yes, he talked about how during COVID he made a pact with his friends that they would not cry alone because they were living mm. alone. You know? Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I don't know if he lives alone, but he said he, he made a pact with other friends mm. of his generation who, who didn't necessarily have people in their homes with yeah. them. Yeah. And they, and they did that all yeah. through COVID. Whenever they yeah. had a big feeling, they rang each other. Yeah, I love and that. I just, I love that. It made me cry mm. when I heard it. I just mm. thought that's really the way that I am moved to be. Yeah. But it's not always possible yes. in the structures that we have. And 
I also bring in similar awarenesses with the women I work with about mm. you just got to be with other people. It's it's not really about a fix or a solution no. or advice, but that skill of holding space, you know, it's a real skill. Yes, it completely is. And I think it's important to remember that most of us were not modelled at, at all. No. Most of us when we were younger and we had feelings, we were sent to our room or we were told don't worry about it or we were, you know, we were ignored or it's maybe you were even hit you know if if you didn't you're upset about something so most of us did not have an emotional imprint around it's safe to feel what we're feeling and I think a lot of the adults I work with are relearning how to do that now and then of course we find it super challenging with our kids you know and it's why when our kids are upset or angry or frustrated our default is to want to stop it is to want to fix it it's to want to make it go away because it can often tap us into the deeper wound within us that that we were never listened to in that way we were not able to go I'm so mad about this you know we we weren't allowed and so that taps us into our own hurts and pains that we haven't felt absolutely and I you know I notice it in school as well with my children sometimes if my child has a big feeling at school I've had teachers say things like oh he's a bit highly strung yeah I'm like what do you mean yeah. has he had a feeling yeah Are you for real yeah, yeah. Not past that yet? yeah are we not just seeing that they're just responding to the so environment I, yeah, of what's going on i just say oh yeah he's a deeply feeling child yeah that's yeah. what i say, I say or he's, he's emotionally in touch with how he yes. feels <laughs> yes that's right well it's crazy isn't it because our system yes. still expects children to walk in sit down do what they're no told feeling. and be good and not feel be robots like that's <laughs> that's what and that's a good child a good child is one who is compliant who doesn't challenge anything and and tries to please you like that's what our society and culture still thinks is an acceptably good child yeah. but that actually child grows up to be a deeply repressed adult yeah. who who doesn't know how to speak their truth or doesn't have good boundaries or right. is unable to feel deeply because they're so conditioned to be a good boy or a good girl yeah really disconnected that's right mm. and it's it's really interesting working in this space and learning i mean i remember i had one session when i was going through some of my i guess my early stages of parenting as a single mother and recovering from addiction self-medicating trauma etc and uh, I remember going to see this amazing energy healer. She's actually now one of my dear friends. And I walked into her apartment and I burst into tears. And I said, what's going on? I just got here. I don't even know you. You haven't even said anything to me. I'm so sorry. And she said, no, don't be silly. Everybody does that. Everybody walks in here and bursts into tears because mm. I've just completely charged this space as a space of unconditional love. Yeah. And you're not used to it. Yeah. Nobody's used to it. Yeah. So as soon as you walk in, and it was very funny, I was there another time at the end of a session and she was about to be in like the Sydney Morning Herald, a mainstream newspaper, and they had sent a photographer to take her photo. And the photographer walked in, you know, on mm. a job, and mm. same thing, burst into tears. Aww. And I said, oh, don't worry, I did the same thing when I got here for the first mm. time. <laughs> she, was, she was like, what's happening? And then she said, oh, don't worry, everybody does it. Mm. Very interesting. And I think, mm. you know, we... I had to learn, like I had to experience that sense of safety yeah. in certain people to be able to then give that safety to others. Absolutely. So it's like a, you know, a domino effect. 100%. And I, a lot of the work I do in parenting is around that because, you know, parents come to me going, you know, my children keep having tantrums or they won't cooperate or, you know, they're numbing out all the time and, you know, what, what can I do with that? And 
one of the first pieces is, well, do we make it safe enough for them to feel what they're really feeling? And, and then how do we make it safe enough within our own bodies to then listen to them? And so what you're saying here is, you know, we have to actually do the work on ourselves 100%. often in order to be the parent we need to be. 100%. And if we want to raise our kids to be emotionally connected and aware, then we have to look back at our story first. We have to look back and go, well, what was I modelled around feelings and emotions? What was I modelled around trust? What was I modelled around anger? What was I modelled around boundaries? All these key elements that shape who we are. And was what I was modelled, does that serve me now? Am I still playing that out? And what do I need to do to change that story and that imprint and heal what is there for me? Because the more we do that, the more we do the work, then the less we are going to project onto our children. And that is a gift because if we often project our unconscious stuff onto the kids, then our kids are like, I don't want to carry this. And they kind of, they throw it back at us. And that's what we label as defiant behavior or you know, being uncooperative, whereas really our kids are like going, can you please sort out your rubbish? It's not well, mine to carry. switched on. I, mm-hmm. lo- I love that. And that's the journeying through that mm-hmm. you speak of, I think. I love the way you, t- you speak about this. You say, you tell it in a very understandable way, mm. breaking it down in a beautiful way. I really appreciate it. Mm, and I think it's fascinating too. Like I, I think something happened recently. I'm just thinking of an example. Something happened with maybe another parent at school and I spoke very clearly around, oh, they've got some stuff going on and I can sense it and I'm not going to engage with that because I know it's not about me. Mm. And I said something like that to my husband and he said, people don't think like that. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't think like that. They don't. Like You can't expect other people to understand this stuff because you're, you're unusual in that way. Mm. He said, I only know what you're talking about because you showed it to me. Yes. You know, and he's now able to do that with our children. Mm, and I beautiful. must say... We're not always able to do this. And I think it's okay to recognize that there'll be moments where it falls down, where oh, we're doing this in a very 100%. imperfect way. And that's all part of the way that we change it intergenerationally. And oh. we own up and we say, I'm sorry, I kind of didn't do that very well to our kids. And we yeah. let them in and trans- yes. transparently share what mm. it is that's going on so they can understand and see the the inner workings of the watch, if you like, you know, totally. like the, the yeah. clear watch face and see the way it works. And and I think that's how we also share how they might carry that on through future generations. Oh, there is so change. That's what we're talking about. Yes, and there's so much magic in what you're talking about yeah. because, well, firstly, there is no perfect parent. You can't, no matter what you do, your child is going to have story because they're human and they're meant to have story because... Yeah. That's how they grow and they learn and they have to experience adversity and they have to experience heartbreak and they have to experience all these elements because it's part of building this beautiful resilience within and also developing their own inner compassion and empathy for themselves and for others. So no matter what we do, our kids are going to have stuff. And our job is to walk beside them and go, hey, that stuff is hard, but I am here and I believe in your ability to navigate this and I'm right beside you. And so, you know, on one level, that's what we're, we're working to do. So we've got to let go of this, this perfect story. And I love what you said too, the repairing of when we do things wrong is such a beautiful teaching and gift to our children, Mm -hmm. because if they see that we go, Hey, I'm wrong. 
man, sorry, can we do that over again? Or, you know, then that again is modeling. That's how we do that. That's how we do empathy. That's how we do apologizing. That's how we repair situations. So you're so right. It's, there's beauty in that as well because we're modeling that to our children. So it is such a huge work in progress and I think we again are so conditioned to get it right and we're influenced by social media and the world going this is what good looks like you know this is what your house should look like and this is what you should look like and this is what your children should look like and this is what subjects they should be studying and it's just all this external story that means nothing because it's all about you and connecting and being real and and doing your own work and then meeting your kids where they're at that's that's what it's about i love that and i also just really feel that those things that we're talking about when we do them on a daily basis they form the foundation of the voice your child will hear when they become an adult i mean they become so rather than Oh, she looks terrible today. I don't like that woman. What a cow. You know, she, th- she's more likely, my daughter may be more likely to say, oh, that person's different to me and mm. I wouldn't dress like that. But yes, that's okay. You know, yes. it's a completely different paradigm. And, yep. I, and I think that inner self-talk stuff that a lot of us grapple with, I know a lot of the women I work with, certainly I have also have it. There's a mm. very self-critical voice in there. Oh, and huge. we are, you know, we are programmed if you like to be critical like that's how we're made it's how we make our way in the world is we look for mistakes problems threats to our survival you know it's kind of how we're made so to to change our relationship with that voice in our heads to understand what it is and what it's for and be able to have part of us that doesn't believe it that doesn't Mm -hmm. give all of ourselves to it that has another voice that is more compassionate, more gentle, more, I guess, self-forgiving and sort of self-believing mm. is, is a very interesting, you know, like that is a really interesting thing to be able to do as a woman in our, in our world, let alone yes. a mother with a daughter or, or a son, you know. Oh, I love what you're saying there because for me, compassion is always the answer because... <sighs> you know what you said just so beautifully then is that we we actually don't heal we can't heal our past and our imprints unless we lean in with compassion because if we lean in with judgment we are just continuing with this story of i'm wrong i'm not enough whereas the reality is we're actually all enough we were born enough from the moment you were born you're enough but we then journey through life and society or relationships make us believe the opposite and I guess coming back to being a conscious parent is actually the deep inner knowing that you are enough just the way you are. And it comes through compassion because, you know, if we've had that beautiful negative voice in our head, which so many people have, and that is the, that is the loudest voice there, when we start to go, actually, I'm not going to let myself talk crap about myself. I'm going to stop it right there. Or I'm actually, you know, yep, that was not one of my finest parenting moments but instead of berating myself or feeling guilty I'm gonna put my hand on my heart I'm gonna take a deep breath and go today was a hard day and I'm gonna be kind to myself and compassionate and that's when we start the healing and the shifting but we are yes we are so so good at making ourselves wrong and then here's what happens when we have that internal inner dialogue that is negative whether we like it or not we then project that onto our kids and that's what our kids feel, right? And then that's where our kids will often go, I'm not very good at this or I'm that or I'm that. And 
even if we're like, I've never even said that to you, but because we're feeling it and we're carrying it, that's what our kids, our kids are constantly watching us. They're like, well, how does the world work? Oh, this is what relationships look like. Oh, this is what you do with anger. Oh, this is what you do with self-deprecation. Ah, oh, this is so, you know, our children are just constantly watching us and that's, you know, no pressure. <laughs> you know what I'm laughing about is the, is the classic road rage. Like I have got a habit from the past, my past mm-hmm. brain, where if someone cuts me off or makes mm-hmm. a bad move on the road, I say, oh, what a dick, you know, and like, yeah. I say it under my breath. Yeah. And I noticed I was saying it with the kids in the car and I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, that's terrible. And so yeah. now if I say it, I say, well, that's not very nice, is it? Mummy's yeah, not yeah. being very nice there. They're probably <laughs> just having a bad day. Yeah. You know, and I kind of like catch it up with the like compassionate bit after it. It's really funny. So that's my way of um, catching myself when I'm being a not very nice person. I just then yes. show them the follow-up thought, you know, like, Perfect. oh, yeah, okay, I did that not very well. I'm going to do yeah. that differently next time, you know. Yeah. And it's um, it's my sort of, <laughs> it's like my Achilles heel or something. When I'm driving, I become this kind of angry caretaker yes. of the roads or something. <laughs> it's really weird. You sound like my husband. He'll get this look on his face and I go, you know, the other driver can't see you or feel what you're feeling, right? <laughs> You know that, that and he's like, no, it makes me feel better. But I love what you're saying there because um, it's okay to feel angry and it's okay to have rage and it's okay to feel pissed off around stuff. But what we do with it is what matters and what we model to our children. So I love what you said there. You can be like, I'm saying that. That's probably not a nice thing. They're, they're noticing that you're actually then kind of correcting yourself back into it and you're being compassionate. Yeah. And, and I, that's one of the big things I often teach parents is like, what do we model to our children around anger or that's sadness or, or worry, right? They're hard. Those they're hard. And, and so I often say to parents, so when you're angry, and here's the beautiful thing about our kids because they're hardwired into us. They know when you're angry because your little one will come up to you and go, yeah, okay, mama. And you're like, yeah, I'm fine, right? And then they look at you with this look. Now the reality is when we say we're fine and we're not, it gives such a mixed message to our kids because our kids are feeling into their gut that says something's off with my mum. And so they come over and ask. And when we're getting, they're getting a response that says no, yeah. then that is teaching them to not trust their gut. To doubt themselves. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So so what happens within that then is they get this mixed message of I can't trust what my gut says and that's not ideal because we want our children to learn to trust what their bodies are saying. So we are far better off if a child comes in and says, are you okay, mummy? We can go, oh, I'm, got, I'm angry. I've got all these angry feelings in my body and so I'm going to go outside and take my shoes off and stand on the ground and I'm going to yell at the trees or I'm going to put on music and do an angry dance or I'm going to get all this paper here and I'm going to rip it up really hard and, right. and that's going to help me feel better. Or if they come and, and you're feeling sad, then you can say, I've just got some sad feelings and I'm going to go and ring a friend because it makes me feel better when I can talk to a friend and have a cry. We have to model to our children healthy ways to feel these feelings. But when we just pretend as adults, again, our children, they feel it and they're like, Mm-mm, I'm not I'm not buying this. I'm not believing you here. And and then that imprint that that sets up with them again is when you have a feeling, don't reach out, don't own it, don't support it. You know, that's the message we're giving. So it is so vital that as adults we speak it. Now that doesn't mean that you curl up in a ball on the floor in the fetal position in the lounge room and sob hysterically if you're just home with your four-year-old, right? That could feel all about the terrible day. Yeah, no, totally. That could feel overwhelming for them. We need to reach out to adults to support us, but we can. It's also really powerful 
to model to our children what we do with our stress, what we do with our upset, what we do with our our feelings. It's really important that they begin to see that we have tools that we can work with because then they're the tools that they learn. Yes. Oh, I love that, Lael. It's so true. And I, I, as you're speaking, I'm realising that there's there's a couple of things I haven't been showing my children, like I've been protecting them from, in inverted commas, you know, emotions that I feel are potentially negative, you know, that I don't <laughs> want them to see. Mm-hmm. And it's so true that actually it's really important. It's almost a responsibility to let them see those in a measured and conscious way. You know. Yes, and knowing that you're reaching out for support. So think yeah, about beautiful. if your seven-year-old is upset, what do you want your seven-year-old to do? You want your seven-year-old to walk in the room and go, I feel so sad, mum. Can you help me with my sad? Or your 10-year-old comes in and goes, I'm so angry I didn't get picked for the football team and this isn't fair and that's not fair. And and you go, yeah, I hear you, mate. What do you need to do? Let's feel this. Yeah. And, and then they have tools or they have ways to feel their feelings so then they can let them go. Because when we don't model that and we also don't teach our children how to do that, then they learn to just store it and repress it in their bodies and then it comes out in other ways. I think the bit of that that I find the most challenging, if I'm really honest, is the part of it where if they come in and they're feeling something strongly and it's coming out a bit sideways and they're speaking to you in a way that is really unacceptable, you know, Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the challenge for me, I think. That's the bit mm-hmm. where I get most challenged because yes. like, I say things like, I get that you're upset, but that doesn't mean you can say yeah. that word to me or yeah. I understand. What do you think about that? That's kind of the way I handle it. Yeah, so so I look at it this way. I explain it simply in the sense that kids and adults, we're either what we call imbalance or out of balance. So when we're in balance, we're singing as we're, you know, happily doing our thing and we're talking all cutesy to the dog or, uh, you know, when your kids walks in and wants to play with the sibling and they're playing beautifully and you ask them to set the table for dinner and they do it happily. And that's when you see your child's in balance. They're feeling good. But when they walk into the room and they start picking a fight with their brother or you ask them to take the rubbish out and they're like, why do I have to do everything? And they come back to you with all these big feelings. Then that's a sign that they're out of balance. And and I love to explain it like this. It's like they're standing there waving a red flag going, something's going on for me. I'm not feeling good but I don't actually know how to deal with that. And it is our job as the adult to be the anchor, is to look behind the behaviour and go, oh, there's something up here. Yeah. So I think a very helpful thing for our brains to understand is this. No child wants to be mean to you, to someone else, to the dog. They don't want to speak harshly to you. They don't want to call you an effing idiot. They are doing it because they're out of balance. There's something brewing in their bodies. They've got pain there. They're hurting. There's worry. There's a whole lot of stuff that's brewing and they're trying to find a way to release it. So kids bring their big feelings to the safest place, which is usually us or hopefully us. So when your child walks in and goes, you know, you're the worst mum in the world and I can't believe you're doing that, then how I respond is by kind of tilting my head to the side and go, whew, sound like you got some something going on there mate tell me more so I often don't make them wrong for what they're saying because I actually know they don't like talking to you in that way but what's in front of that is a whole lot of stuff that they're trying to move and our job is to then bring the safety to them to help those feelings move so anger is just a mask for sad that sits underneath I love that anger is a mask for sad so So true yeah so in those moments 
you know, you can lean in and go, I and say what you see. I can see you're really mad, mate, and you're using some big words here. You know what? I love you. Even if you're saying you hate me right in this moment, I'm right here. Come on. Yeah. Let's move this. Let's go. And so you lean in and it takes an anchoredness within us as an adult. It takes a calmness to do that. Now, if we grew up in environments where we felt disrespected, where we got yelled at a lot, where we weren't able to speak our truth, Mm -hmm. then when our child comes in and and does something like that to us, so often it's going to tap us right into our powerlessness, which will then make us go, how dare you speak to me that way? And then straight away, it's our kind of, you know, in a six-year-old having a battle with your six-year-old here. And we've lost kind of our adult peace because we're tapped into our own wounds and feelings. It is very hard, though, to stand there when your child perhaps is being disrespectful or, you know, and it doesn't mean that we, we don't set limits around behaviors right like you you would walk over and say i'm not willing to let you hurt your brother in that way and i'm here i'm here to keep you both safe but i'm not willing for you to do that but i'm and what we're wanting to do is set those boundaries so that our kids have something to push up against so they can get past the anger and the stuff that's sitting there and move to the feelings underneath so you know there's different layers to it right because here's the thing and you may have experienced this your child might speak harshly to you and they're really angry and then if you stick with them and you don't make them wrong and we don't shame them for what they're saying or punish them if they get to move the feelings what will happen afterwards they'll come and go I'm so sorry I called you that or I'm sorry I did that and you'd be like yeah I know you you had some stuff there how could we do it a bit differently next time so this is all part of learning this is all part of developing that emotional intelligence that emotional awareness people when they lash out and hurt people are because they're hurting and and again I want to be really clear on this you know it doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries and limits and sometimes if our kids are acting out the safest thing we do is I need to move you to another room to keep everybody safe here and it might need to blow off you know some of the feelings they've got there and you know if we can be as present as we can because those big feelings feel very scary for children so if we can be there to be that anchor point and to hold the space then then it can actually move but it is super, super hard to do because, yes. again, this was not modelled to us. It is very hard to sit in the fire with our kids and stay centred. It's really tricky. It's taken me years of practice to not be reactive, to be able to sit down and go, Ooh, something big's going on. Come on, mate. I'm here. I'm here to help yeah, you. Let's go. Very interesting you say that. So I have an 18-year-old and I noticed that with him, I'm a lot better at doing what you just said than with my younger children I have five and nine as well and so it's interesting because thinking about it it could be because the five and nine year old in me was less empowered than the 18 year old but it also I think is around that the 18 year old and I have developed Mm. a way Mm. to navigate those storms yes and because he's older and has more practice yeah I'm more practiced at parenting him Yes. have a language or a signposting system mm. through that yes where i say mate i can hear something going yeah. on downstairs you know yeah. he's downstairs. are you okay yeah, yeah mom leave me alone i'll talk to you later yeah and that's yeah. my sign of all right he's handling it he's yeah. angry but he's yeah. handling it yeah he knows what to say to tell yeah. me yeah beautiful and i know what to say to tell him and yeah. it's very efficient because yes. he's practiced it over 18 totally yeah right and I, I always come back to this is uh, if you were a five-year-old who was really angry or a nine-year-old who was full of rage, what would you want from an adult in that moment? Would you want one done to come in and go, why are you so upset? What's going on? 
Would you want them to come in and kind of power over you? Would you want them to just ignore you? No, what you would want is you'd want an adult to walk in who is calm and go, hey, I can see this is big. I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm right. I'm rock solid and I've got you and I can help you. That's what we would all deeply desire because that brings a safety that says, hey, you love me no matter what. You love me in my anger. Yes, (laughs) that's exactly it. But we're getting the message then that says, you love me when I'm mad. You love me when I'm upset. You love me when I'm happy. You love me because I'm joyous. Whereas when we can't meet our kids in those big feelings, the message we're often giving them is, I only love you when you're good. That's right. right. And yeah. then it sets up a whole other story. It's why most of us end up in therapy as adults. <laughs> oh, yes. It's funny you say that because I just a little while ago I felt like I had to come up with an acronym because I've used this name Soul Mama for so many mm-hmm. years now. Mm-hmm. And I came up with the acronym Simple Ongoing Unconditional Love. Aww. And I said that's what soul is Beautiful. for in the Soul it. Mama universe. Mm. That's what we need. That's what yes. we need. And yes. what we most need to give our children. Yes. Yes. So it's really key. And, you know, it sounds very wishy-washy. It's so not. I love it. I think it's beautiful. It's lovely the way you're explaining it. Yeah. So I feel like we could go on for about three days. So <laughs> I might have to mm. invite you back, Leah. Okay. I'd be very happy to. <laughs> it's been absolutely delightful to speak with you. And I really appreciate you taking the time. You didn't – we've never met before. And I feel like it's always amazing when I can meet somebody for the first time and we go so deep and get mm. so to the heart and the fire of things it's just mm. beautiful thank you oh thank you for having me i love the work that you're doing in the world for all those beautiful parents and i think the more we can share and send a message of this connection and compassion and and raising our children with awareness then it's a gift to the planet everywhere so i'm always happy to you know support and speak about it with others Thank you, Lyle. Have a beautiful settling into your new home. Thank you so much. Speak to you again soon. Thank you. Now, as luck would have it, there is a free masterclass coming up very shortly at the end of April called Take the Pressure Down, in which I share five essential keys to stop the rush around, drop the guilt, and generate more energy for what you love. So please do come and join us. I'm really excited to offer it at two convenient times. You can register at soulmamaacademy.com forward slash pressure down. That's S-O-U-L-M-A-M-A academy.com forward slash capital P pressure, capital D down, all one word. And you will find that link in the show notes. You can also find me on Instagram at soulmamahub. That's S-O-U-L-M-A-M-A. H-U-B.